It's Tuesday, April 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got a bunch going on. We've got restaurant stocks that are moving in opposite directions. We've got a surprising day for GE, but we're going to start with Alphabet. First quarter profits for Alphabet were great. That's not the problem. Declining ad revenue. That's the problem because Alphabet is in the advertising business and shares are down about 8%, which when you're as big as Alphabet is, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $75 billion worth of market cap. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the earnings were good, not great. Oh. And what it comes down to is how the market does and should value growth rates. And so you've got ad revenue growth of 15%. For this quarter, and that's a continued deceleration. It was about 20% in the fourth quarter, a little over 20% in the third quarter last year, 24% in the second quarter of last year, and 24% this time last year. There's a little bit of adjustment that you need to make for currency translations, but still, that's a four in a row quarter deceleration of the. Most important part of their business, and it's still growth. That's pretty good growth. Fifteen percent year-over-year growth, given the size of this company, is not something to dismiss. But it's uh, you know if if you're into pattern recognition, uh, it's a pattern that is kind of slapping you in the face at the moment. So you don't view the stock drop today as a buying opportunity for someone who's been sitting on the sidelines on Alphabet. I think uh, that it is. Uh, if they've been sitting on the sidelines, I think Alphabet's going to continue to be one of the dominant performers and growers in the market. So, if you've got a longer time horizon, sure. One of the issues here is that Alphabet is not very forthcoming about the details of things. And I was reading a Deutsche Bank analyst report, and and really there was a little bit of hostility under underneath the words here about the ways in which Alphabet is not as forthcoming as at least this analyst would like them to be with the details of why things are happening the way they are. So I didn't see that note, but I did see a report about Ruth Porat, who's the CFO at Alphabet, and. A tremendous hire, and Alphabet has done very well, and and its shareholders have done very well during her time as CFO. She made some comments about YouTube that the company didn't really expand upon, but it it was basically, yeah, YouTube's a problem. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I'm 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 you know doing this in a broad stroke, but it was yeah, that was basically what Ruth Porat said about YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, that's also a problem, and. There wasn't any color beyond that, and it's it, it's amazing to think that YouTube is still as big as it is, as dominant as it is, and you look at Ruth Porat's comments, and honestly, any comments related to YouTube coming from within the company, and one common theme that we've heard for years is, yeah, we haven't really optimized this yet. We haven't really turned this into the video equivalent of what Google searches, and that's what we want to do. And it's understandable, but it's 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 
in some ways similar to the way you and I talk about Starbucks, and we're like, wow, it's amazing to think that Starbucks has gotten this far, and food is, at varying points in its history, pretty good to dismal. It's it's never been wow. They are firing on all cylinders with food the way they are with coffee, and it's the same thing with Alphabet and YouTube. It's like yeah, yeah, YouTube is the most dominant video search engine and the second most dominant search engine period in the United States. Yeah, we still we still haven't worked out the bugs. Uh, yeah, they, I mean they they're not um, doing the job that some would like, giving granularity toward uh, the understanding the numbers. One of the comments in this Deutsche Bank, uh, which I'm quoting just because it, it sort of jumped out at me. This is not usually how things are phrased. Um, it, it says site revenue growth of 90%, uh, with Google providing its investors its typically limited assistance, understanding the weakness. And and so, this is one individual's uh, recounting. Uh, I'm sure Google would um, beg to differ, uh, but that's part of what's out there today, is if the numbers are continuing to come up with a slowing, though still, I would say, impressive revenue growth, um, you've got the ad revenue, I think I read some data point that uh, uh, Google and Facebook are on track to have 40% of global ad revenue by next year, and that that may have been, I don't know, that may have been online, but I, that, that would be staggering. Do you know if that's? That I haven't, can't be all ad I, revenue, can it? I, <laughs> I haven't seen that, but uh, but we can we can put someone on that. Yeah, let's put someone on that. Our substantial staff. Um, let me step back for a second, and uh, because the, you raise an interesting point about Alphabet and this one analyst, and I'm curious what what is reasonable to expect. Put the analyst aside for a second, just for shareholders. What is reasonable to expect out of company leadership in terms of? How much insight they're going to give us, particularly when, in the case of Alphabet, things didn't go as well as they would have liked. What is reasonable? Uh, I think that in Google's case, they're more in the position of making the rules. That is, they don't need anybody's help. If you're more, it's the reasonableness is in some uh, sense a function of who you need help from. Uh, in terms of gathering more money, if if you're in the if you're dependent on Wall Street to fund your next uh, capital raise, whether through you know share, uh, you know a, a secondary or or bond offering, or just you know to prop up your price because it's nice to have analysts saying nice words and recommending that your stock be bought. Uh, you have a different set of needs than Google does, uh, and their needs are more in the world of secrecy uh, and not really giving any information to its competitors about why they may have weakness or why they may have accounted for something over this quarter in a way that you don't quite understand. I think they're more okay with not everybody understanding the details of their business, particularly as they run a business which is highly Dependent on continuing to addict people to the service, uh, and and when you talk about the flaws in YouTube, YouTube's monetization, those are not flaws in terms of getting people to be addicted to YouTube and spending more and more time on the site, uh, and that is currently the a bigger chunk of the game than monetizing those those hours spent on YouTube. Although they're certainly cramming more and more ads onto YouTube. 
is my experience. Absolutely. So, it sounds like, reading between the lines of what you just said, it sounds like the bigger and more successful the company, the less likely they are to be helpful to analysts and shareholders understanding stumbles. Yes, I would say, you know, and, and depends on management. I think that uh, there are managements, uh, individuals who are more willing to be more forthcoming and, and admit mistakes and say this is this is where we are. Uh, so it's it's not. Uh, I mean, that's sort of a, a category thing, but I, I think it's it's largely true that you're not getting the same level of disclosure from uh, the Godzillas in this market than the needy. Let's move on to General Electric, which is still burning cash, although they burned less of it in the first quarter. And that's a victory lap right there. <laughs> that, as much as anything, is probably why shares of GE are up four percent. You thought we were going to burn all the cash this quarter, and we only burned $1.8 billion of it. Uh, or 1.2, if you squint your eyes and look at it from our adjusted perspective, <laughs> it's not really the full 1.8. Uh, yeah, and that qualifies as good news. This is a very different story, right, than, than Google, where the perspective coming into any earnings report is just how good is this going to be? <laughs> and Google's like, well, we grew about 20%, and everybody says, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Right, and then this is where you know a a one day move in stock price is more dependent on what the expectations were than what the delivery was, and and GE's up despite losing a couple billion. I also think that Larry Culp, the CEO, the guidance that he gave just and. I mean, I use the word guidance. I could have just as well used the word the reassurance that he gave regarding the rest of the fiscal year. I think to go back to you know what you were saying in terms of well, you know what is the story going into any company's quarter? And I think one of the stories, at least with General Electric, is are we at the bottom? I think there are absolutely analysts on Wall Street who look at the size of General Electric, the history of the company, and say, okay, look, it's not going to zero. So what do we think the bottom is? Was the bottom eight dollars a share like it was a few months ago? And you know the stock's up four percent over the last four months. It's up about twenty twenty five percent. And I think that that kind of reassurance from the CEO, at least, if it doesn't get investors excited about GE, it at least moves GE out of the critical care unit and just into the I don't know the the name of the the wing in the hospital where they just put serious patients. Yeah. So is it the bottom? Well, it depends on. How you define what the bottom is, because don't we all, don't we all define the bottom as zero? Uh, you're talking about the stock price. Oh. I'm talking about the cash burn now, and the indication is that quarter uh, Q1 uh, is going to be the low point of the year, at least for cash flow, and so the rest of the year will have better cash flow or cash burn, um, and so. In one sense, that's the bottom. That we're not going to lose money as fast as we are right now again for the rest of the year. Uh, on the other hand, you might say, well, the bottom is when you're not losing money. Like when you stop losing money, I'll call that the bottom. And and we haven't quite gotten reassurance on that yet. So uh, so it's not going to depart a whole lot, I think, from from this level as a stock until there's guidance that says. Here's how much money we're going to be making doing the business we're doing today, 
because that's what you're you that's what you want to invest in companies that make money right that's, that's <laughs> or at least <laughs> investing or, 101 or at least have a promise of it at some point in the future there's certainly yeah, pl- no, plenty of successful stocks currently profitless companies uh, which are very valuable but that is because there is either a path or a belief that there is a path. Something like Uber will get more and more attention, I think, about whether there is a path or simply a belief that there is a path to profitability there. But it's going to be an incredibly richly valued company when it comes public. They, like all private companies, when they go public, they will absolutely get more attention. And As we've learned over time, some of those private companies Regret going public because they don't like the scrutiny. Let's get to a tale of two restaurants, but I'm just going to give you one data point and have you explain what in the heck is going on here. McDonald's first quarter same store sales in the United States up four and a half percent. Texas Roadhouse first quarter comps up more than five percent in the U.S. Shares of McDonald's up about one percent. Shares of Texas Roadhouse down 11%. What in the world is. We'll get to McDonald's in a second because it seems like they're doing some things right. What is going wrong at Texas Roadhouse that they're putting up these kind of comps? Comps, which, by the way, they have consistently put up for a bunch of quarters. And most restaurants would kill for these kind of comps. Yeah, it's the bottom line that's the problem, and labor is the specific problem. So, at a. At a very, very, very high level, you might say these are nice problems to have in that, uh, from an, a standpoint of the economy as a whole. That is, people are going to their restaurants, they're opening new restaurants, uh, people are spending more money when they go. So, uh, but Texas Roadhouse provides an experience of value for, for the service you're getting. And so, they are not really raising. Excuse me, raising prices very much. They just took a 1.5% menu price increase, but their labor costs are up 7-8%, are going to be up 7-8% for the year. Part of that is they have more labor working more hours, but part of it is that labor costs more to keep employed. People are willing to leave, and they are seeing, I think, 120% turnover. And that is going to cost you. You've got to constantly be training new employees. New employees are finding that their minimum wage is going up in other places. And the you know experience of working for Texas Roadhouse has to be competitive for people to be happy doing those jobs and serving customers well, or else the whole thing crumbles. And so you see, they're maintaining. A level of service that people are coming back for, but they're not pocketing as much profit. And the biggest chunk of that is labor. So, in terms of McDonald's, it seems like the investments that McDonald's has been making are starting to pay off. They've been remodeling a bunch of locations. The kiosks that they've installed are starting to pay off. They're doing a good job with delivery. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that the company also credited both bacon and donut sticks in the performance of this latest quarter. They did. Everybody seemed to bite on that one. As look here, this is this is what explains it. Um, I think that when you talk about where their investments have been, it's remodeling, it's kiosks. This is not investments in labor. So they are. 
I think, doing a better job than Texas Roadhouse today in separating the increase in sales, because uh, they're getting good comp numbers as well, from increased labor costs. And you can do that by automating more. And they, of course, are not, you know, as employee dependent as a sit down restaurant is. And there's more labor involved in uh, the back uh, of the restaurant for um, thing like a like a steak at Texas Roadhouse than uh, McDonald's. So they're not seeing the same pressures. They are seeing some, but it's it's not showing up in today's numbers. Did they give any color uh, on? Their whatever their version of a an impossible whopper could be. I mean, you know, that's something we've talked about recently. And by the way, I yesterday we talked about restaurant brands, uh, parent company of Popeyes, Tim Hortons, and Burger King. And I uh, neglected to mention yesterday that one of the things that came out of their quarter was Burger King. That test they've been doing of the impossible whopper, the test in the St. Louis area, apparently has been going very well because they're going to roll that out nationwide later this year. I don't know. I didn't get a copy of the transcript yet uh, from the McDonald's call. I would be surprised if I'm not that surprised, but it, it, it would it would make sense for them to field a question about that uh, since uh, Burger King's in the news for this right now, and maybe that's a direction that they're going to need to be competitive on. Uh, I think uh, they're they're certainly not uh, closing their eyes to oh. to what Burger King is doing. Yeah, I I would I would be surprised both if they didn't get asked about it, and I would be even more surprised if they weren't actively working on it. Um, to go back to the donut fries, I mean, I, I this is not a frivolous thing. I mean, this I remember when they when they rolled this out, and there was the initial uh, response because Dunkin' Donuts had come out with these donut sticks and. McDonald's got a little prickly about like, well, look, we've been testing this, you know, because they were being called copycats for doing it. But the reviews were great, and also I thought it was incredibly smart of McDonald's to just say, um, yeah, we've been doing breakfast all day. This item right here, this is not going to be all day. This is just going to be in the morning. And I think that's the kind of thing that can boost the average ticket price uh, and have a nice ripple effect for them. And it has. Yeah, apparently that is one of the places where the competition is picking up is in the breakfast space. And I think that between that and, as we mentioned, the the bacon event, uh, which you know sounds sounds like it should have been successful, and it's getting credit for being successful, where they gave uh, a side order of bacon uh, away with uh, any order for an hour on January 29th, and uh, I think we missed that one. Uh, we totally missed that one. But you could have had free bacon with anything that you were ordering, as long as you were ordering something. Like I want to, I want a shake. Sure. Would you like some bacon with that, sir? <laughs> Yes. That, why I hadn't thought about that, but <laughs> yes, I would. The that an- was, I think, the experience for one hour. The answer is almost always yes. Would you like a side of bacon with that? The answer- would you like a free side of bacon with that? I mean, the yeah. take rate on that is very high. Very, very, very high. Very high. Um, so we talked last time about uh, we have the best listeners. The the data backs this up. We're not going to go into the data, um, but uh, the latest example a little bit like Google on this one. We're no, we can't 
can't go in We're not. where that data comes from. Look, uh, I'm sure the people running uh, Bloomberg's podcast would love us to go into the data uh, on how great our listeners are. We're not going to. They'd do like that. to find the best listeners in the world. How are they going to do that if you don't, you know, set out the breadcrumbs for them to follow? Yeah, not going to happen. Um, but the latest iteration of this is the last time you were on. We mentioned you're in a couple of weeks. You're going to Singapore, and the emails just poured in. So many helpful listeners offering up. Uh, tips, places to go, things to do, uh, restaurants and bars to hit. So, yeah, I'm not going to have time to do everything that I can suggest. I was going to say, like enough email and enough suggestions came in that I thought, boy, this is this is like a week's worth of stuff at least. Maybe if I blow off the entire conference, I can cover all that stuff. Well, I'm not going to. Probably be a bad idea, but uh, I mean, blow- that's what your listeners are demanding, seemingly. <laughs> Look, where do your allegiances lie? To the, to the people who employ you at MFAM funds or to the listeners? I'll let you decide. Um, uh, by the way, we have gotten a couple of questions over the last few months about this. Uh, we will have another Apropos of Nothing episode coming in the month of May. Don't know exactly when in the month of May, but it, it will be coming in the what month of May. What kinds of questions? Like, so that they can avoid it or, or what? Uh, the, the people who wanted another one, you're claiming? Yeah. There were there were a few people who were like, hey, that you know, it really enjoyed the last one. Um, when are you going to do another? These that, things take months to prepare. <laughs> now, the people who hate the apropos of nothing, uh, as far as I can tell, they largely keep to themselves. They keep those comments to themselves. Every once in a while, it's just like, yeah, just so you know, I skipped those, which is fine. They're an apropos of nothing. They're not the usual episode. We that's why we put them out over the weekend. Um, but they're they're. Um, they keep their vitriol to themselves. So you're looking for topics. We're always looking for topics. Yeah, if you've if you've got topics, you can email us marketfoolery at fool dot com uh, for the next apropos of nothing podcast, which will be uh, we might be I don't know maybe taping that next week because you're hitting the road pretty soon. So you've got a topic in mind. Are you going to tease that? I, so one topic, um, and we're, let me preface this by saying no spoilers. There are no spoilers. For the biggest movie in history, or certainly the biggest opening weekend in history, with Avengers Endgame. But uh, for anyone who saw the first Iron Man, uh, one of the small nuggets uh, that was established in the very first Iron Man movie is that Stark Industries is a publicly traded company. Yes, and so I think that I I'm confident you have a topic. That is one topic that will come up on apropos of nothing. The next one. So the spoiler is not what were or are going to be no. the quarterly numbers from Stark Industries. <laughs> you may or may not know that insider information, but you, you just have to tune in and find out. Yeah, or like a lot of people, just skip it. Um, yeah, I, got, I got a topic I might do it on a drive-by. It depends who the, the third individual is uh-huh. uh, whether I, I do this one because the anniversary is coming up of. A, a thing I did about 20 years ago on this site, which was to tape an entire day of uh, CNBC. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and then and then write about it. And the 20th anniversary is coming up, and so a lot of people out there are wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, nobody is wondering. How, what's what's uh, what's the anniversary celebration going to be of of that? And uh, apropos of nothing, may. It's going to be a 24-hour episode of because <laughs> I, because I I only uh, covered the first uh, four hours four and a half hours of the day. Uh, what's on one that. What's one thing? Because I, I I can go back and and probably will go back and find the article on fool.com. And no, you can't. You got to find it on like uh, the Wayback Machine. Oh, really? Yeah, we've we've erased 
that part of the, the full archives. Thank God. What is one thing you remember about that experience? Uh, I got from that experience, I got an email from the uh, the editor in chief of the street.com about it. He liked it and, and just wrote me. That's nice. A nice little note. So that's one thing I remember, and we might we might do a little drive by on that fact right. as well in some in some form. We might. Uh, Bill Barker from MFAM Funds. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>